Welcome to the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. It's time for you. A podcast produced for the sheep industry by Sheep Connect New South Wales. Hi, I'm Fiona MacArthur, a network coordinator for Sheep Connect New South Wales. The Sheep Extension Network in New South Wales, which is funded by Australian Wool Innovation. Sheep Connect New South Wales has a membership of over 2,200 and our main aim is to help keep you and your sheep business up to date on information about all things sheep. bit of a road trip today and I find myself at Armatree at the um, the property New Armatree owned by Jenny and Craig Bradley. So I've come for a couple of reasons but um, really to catch up with Jenny and find out a little bit about what um, how the season's treating her here but also to talk to her a little bit about her role with Sheep Connect New South Wales. So we might just start, Jenny tell us a little bit about your operation here um, and how's the season been? Oh, well, thanks, Megan, and, and welcome to Armatree, um, famous for its hotel and Hugh Beverages videos. <laughs> um, no, um, the season has been um, oh incredible turnaround since the last three years. Of course, the last three years have pretty been fairly challenging in the drought, um, and now here we are standing in a paddock with crow's foot that's knee high, um, lambing ewes that are pretty content and happy. Uh, restored my faith in the sheep industry. Yes, um, lambing and all good it really is a sight you know to see here to come to come out and see just so much paddock feed and and to see your ewes who are lambing at the moment just you know poking around their paddocks and they're looking really really content yeah no couldn't ask for better we um we set pretty we set targets for lambing and i think we'll exceed those targets um for the lamb marking percentages that we've set so um all going well yeah so take us back a, a step to when the season broke so so you had your sheep in containment um, for a fair bit of the time you know over the summer during that sort of harshest part of you know <laughs> that hot dry <laughs> relentless dust storm time take us back to then and then when it rained tell us how you managed going forward yeah well even even prior to Christmas um we had, um, as you know, um, that was the toughest time going into January. We had January, there was a dust storm practically every week. Um, so our ewes were well and truly in containment prior to that. Um, it was back in early November, actually, we um, locked them down into containment. We did a body condition score then, and we drafted them um, into three separate groups um, based on body condition score. Um, so I was looking pretty ordinary through January, as I said, with the dust storms. Um, the sheep looked really well. Um, the ones that we take took off uh, the lower body condition score, mind you, they were 2.7 to 3, so they weren't too bad, but they, they came up in condition score during that period of time. So joining um, in contain- full 
joining in containment and that was the last week in January. I only joined for five weeks so it's we've got to get it right. So that was through to the end of February but during uh, the second week of February it did rain. So um, it started with um, small amounts of rain, storm rain and then um, by the end of February so we there was a temptation there to, to release use from containment but we um, held our nerve and Craig my husband he's my reins he we um no Jenny you can't let them out um we we stayed held they were they were fine in in lockdown and um didn't know any better so it allowed the pastures to get away um, we already had ground maintained ground cover so the pastures come away really quickly they were um did, were just still doing well in in containment so the end of February we took the rams out but still maintained those ewes in containment for another week or 10 days now there was a bit of a period there a changeover period where we let them out gradually we didn't going from a pure grain and hay based um, straw based it was to head of tailings and grain based diet um, and facing them was lush green feed so it was a gradual um, readjustment there um, 10 days for a room and change so it was um, an hour at a time two hours at a time uh, in and out for that period of time but it was a it was a pleasure to do it. They loved it too. I love doing it. So, and then after that, they were released out into their mobs. Yes, it's a bit like the opposite when you're taking your sheep from a paddock and putting them on grain feed. It's like slow and steady wins the race, and there's no shortcuts, are there? No, definitely, definitely no shortcuts. Um, no, and yeah, to minimise losing that body condition score that you've tried to maintain and increase during that period of time. And to let them be happy and content and not scour or do anything silly. So they transitioned really well um, onto the green feed, yeah. And plenty of other people in the district joined in containment as well, didn't they? Yes, and, and most of those, so there's a group of us that get together to discuss all these sheepy things that we talk about. And um, the majority of those, yeah, successfully joined in containment, yeah. And usually around that very similar time and they also um, maintained containment during that um, month of February when the feed was coming away. Yep. And um, I guess what about once they went out onto the pasture, like because as you've described, the the crow's foot just over here is, um, you know, knee high and, you know, there's an abundance of, of feed on offer in, in your paddocks. How have you managed with those ewes? I know you, you've mentioned to me before that um, you've got some that needed to go in a, a bit of a Jenny Craig type of scenario. They were getting quite large and had singles on board in particular. How did you manage those? Yeah, well, scanning's critical to our management um, as that body condition score of those ewes. And um, so... Up until scanning, they're all run together, um, and we manage pastures and sheep condition scores, pretty much like that. But at at scanning time, yeah, we recognised that the singles were getting away from us. At one stage, there they were above three point five condition score. So, and steaming ahead, ploughing ploughing ahead very nicely. <laughs> so we um, made the decisions to lock them back down again and um, bring them back down. So on release prior to lambing, they were averaging that um, 3.2, which we were pretty happy with, yes. And to date, like we're two weeks, we're nearly halfway through lambing, not quite halfway through lambing, and very little issues or problems. Um, the sheep look good, the lambs look good, um, no dystochia issues. Um, 
to speak about basically so it's been it's worked really well so keeping those ewes they're our they're our, they're our, our difficult group of ewes to manage is those carrying crossbred lambs also merinos don't seem to have that problem they have the leisure of turning them out and not being so um concerned about the size of the fetus but those singles with crossbred lambs on board yes it is an issue and it's beautiful lambing weather at the moment just nice sunny days clear nights there might be a little bit bit of frost but it's it's certainly beautiful beautiful days for for those little lambs that have hit the ground to to get a really good start oh it is oh perfect yes um we were looking down at being a wet winter but um with the, the amount of feed we have here on offer at the moment and the conditions the way they are it's just perfect yep Jenny, tell us a little bit about how you manage your twins and um, what your strategy was with those up until lambing. Yeah, so uh, as I said, critical at um, scanning time to get um, the number of twinners we've got because from scanning time we set paddock allocation. So we um, let those paddocks come away so there's as much food on offer for those twinners. The singles, we tend to screw those paddocks down that we allocate to them. But even um, the details, paddock allocation becomes critical for us. Um, singles go on to high traffic areas, as in the main road into the house. We've got a three-kilometre driveway, which cuts through two lambing paddocks. So they're allocated to single-bearing ewes. Um, they can handle disturbance much better than a twin-bearing ewe. So the twin-bearing ewes, um, in that last trimester, they actually, well, three weeks out from their, um, preg- from their lambing date, they're allocated their paddock to settle in um, into... So we make sure that those mob sizes are kept relatively small. Now, I know the perfect mob size for twin-bearing ewes is one, but that's a bit unsustainable for us. So we can go down to 100, and we have got one mob on hand at the moment. It's 170 in a... And I did it last year in a drought and managed to nail a really good um, percentage of lambs marked in that paddock. So I've given it the benefit of the doubt and gone 170 again with the ewe numbers um, so the watering points are important we also take also take that into consideration to allocate those twin bearing ewes and also paddock history and the marking percentage that we've got out of those paddocks previously um, depends on the allocation whether they'll be allocated twins or singles as well so in essence you're saying that you've you do have in records that are giving you intelligence in terms of you know which paddocks are good consistent lambing paddocks absolutely yeah so it's a whole package so we scan to know what we've got on board then we allocate according to what they've got on board whether they're twins or singles Um, and then um, we review that um, those decisions that we've made based on those two sound what we believe critical management decisions um, and we review that information to see whether we've got it right and we'll make changes um, to next year if we haven't got it right. Yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's, it's about getting that consistent, you know, lambing percentages, isn't it? And, you know, and good management and setting them up, you know, doesn't sort of take place five minutes before lambing, does it? Yeah, so 30-odd years of scanning and that data, we used to um, target, first of all, I'm ashamed to say, 140%. Um, marking to use in the yards um, percentages and we were delighted when we got that to start with and slowly it's built up and now we're targeting well this year it'll be 170 and we'll do that standing on our ears I think um, the way the numbers are coming through just looking around in the paddock so now we've set the benchmark even higher um, probably targeting 
closer to 180 in the next couple of well we always target 180 but achieving it will be yeah it'll be good and that's just fine-tuning all those detail all that detail it's about getting that little five percent here and five percent there and, and picking that those little cherries off the tree isn't it it is it is and I'm, I'm not here i am talking about it in the merinos and of course we run the maternal we've got a maternal flock and that's completely different kettle of fish but the, with the merinos they're just a different different animal and they require yeah um, a fair bit more attention to get their maternal instincts to to um, get those numbers out of them yep and one thing that I would like to know is, do you early and late with your, your scanning, like in your commercials? Yeah, interesting question. Yeah, I do. Um, particularly during the drought, I did um, early and late with the twinners and I fed accordingly. So I held those late twinners off, um, full access to full feeders and just continued to trial feed them until just prior to the last two weeks. But this year, with the amount of feed I had on offer, I actually got the scanner to um, early and late my singles thinking that I would have problems with my singles. And mind you, so five-week joining, he split it to two and a half weeks and two and a half weeks, and he actually ended up with a dozen ewes in the last two weeks of landing. So we, that was an exception. They all actually got in lamb. They all actually cycled and got in lamb in the first basically three weeks of joining. So the last two weeks were nearly irrelevant as far as that. But I do use that. That's a really good tool to use. And I vary that depending on the season's conditions and what I'm standing, staring down the barrel at, whether it is dry, full ration for feeding. And I'll use that um, strategically, I suppose, yes. Gosh, I could talk to you for hours about this, Jenny. It's, you know, it's, it's obviously you're obviously passionate about your sheep and, and what it is that you do here. And, and I, I love talking about all of this sort of stuff as well, which, you know, is no secret to you either. <laughs> Part of the other reason why I wanted to come and have a chat with you today for our podcast was because I wanted to talk to you about your role with the Sheep Connect New South Wales Producer Advisory Panel. So... You've not long taken over the reins as the, the chairperson for the Producer Advisory Panel. Do you want to just describe what it is that the panel does and, and what the, the purpose of, of that panel is? Oh, yeah, thanks, Megan. Yes, yeah, so a reluctant um, leader. I, I um, tend to like to being involved on, on these types of um, panels rather than actually the leadership. But it's, it's a great... Um, it's a great um, committee to be organised, to be involved with because it's involved with what I'm passionate about. And you've got actually members that's come from statewide across New South Wales and they're it's really engaging to be to have a couple of days and input with people who are also passionate about industry. So not only um, do we contribute to the PAP as a whole, but individually we're learning from each other all the time. Um, new skills and what who's doing what. So it's um a highly um, motivated group of people that we work with um, in that PAP to come up with strategic direction in which um, you as channel your energies into to drive industry-based um, programs yeah, for New South Wales to give benefit back to producers. From my perspective, you know, it's a joy to, to have such an engaged panel to ask you know, for input because, you know, everybody freely offers their insights into what might be happening in their area and or what they think might be around the corner, um, what areas, you know, we should be focusing. And it's, and it's that real strategic type of, um, you know, activities and, and, you know, and ideas that sort of shape what it is that we do. And, you know, I mean, 
might might be um, putting a a, um, a a fair bit of a label on it here, but certainly that winning with Wiener's idea that was a few years ago where where we talked about Wiener management and how uh, there was a bit of a, a gap in the the um, the market out there for for information and and uh, workshop and you know that's what we see now. Absolutely, yeah, and that winning with weaners, we identified that as a gap between marking. Numbers weren't coming back in through after weaning, so there was something going on there. So the PAP um, identified that, and um, that program was developed, and it's um, yeah, really highly successful, highly regarded um, source of information for taking weaners through. Um, and now, as it is within industry, um, gosh, it's a numbers game. So the more weaners you've got to sell and take forward, the better. Yeah, so it is important. So it's not just a one-way street for the producer advisory panel, is it? So we, we because we're, I guess, lucky enough to, to be in New South Wales and AWI headquarters is situated in New South Wales, it's convenient for the people from all corners of the state to meet in Sydney. And there's there's a bit of two-way flow of information there as well. So so you're giving to, to industry and, and giving, you know, strategic direction to the people that are working in the project, such as myself. But you're also learning a lot about, um, you know, what's going on with in terms of, of what AWI's research is that's coming up around the corner as well. Absolutely. So we when we have our workshops in Sydney at the head office, we um, – and it's amazing, AWI, that corporate that, – group actually with head office embrace um the panel there and we have um a few access to what's going on cutting edge stuff at, at but we also have access to some really highly well regarded extension people and research people within industry and m king's standing right beside me so i have to talk <laughs> have to say all these nice things about it um but um we have access and we quite often call m king in a couple of times during our meetings to um to guide us and help explain a few things about what's going on whether we don't want to duplicate anything that's happening at the moment and she's at the cutting edge of of um, research and development and extension so she's just um, a wonderful person to have on board with us with the PAP yeah and you've just you've beaten me to it I was I was just about to get to you Emily <laughs> I wasn't going to let you um, miss out on on something here I wanted to ask you like obviously um, you set up the the current producer advisory panel process um, you know back in 2015 and 16 uh, which is when when the the current producer well we've had a succession plan we've got a new uh, few new people on the panel but you set that up and you know I, I certainly value that as a person working in the project because I'm very very grateful to have such an engaged group of people to work with and what about yourself like how do you feel that the producer advisory panels you know are working for for the networks and you know obviously it's um you manage extension now so yeah do you want to give us a bit of a, an idea on what you think about that yeah sure thanks megan thanks jenny <laughs> um i think um for i've been with awi for about eight and a half years now and certainly during my time in all of our grower extension networks right across australia so sheep connect new south wales and new south wales but the others in the other states um I think the producer advisory panel gives so much to the project in terms of a two-way flow of information, as you said. So what we can learn from on ground, from right across Australia, from those producer advisory panel members coming back, feeding information to AWI, but then also allowing staff at AWI to be able to speak to those people. And, you know, um, you know, we can use those people as a bit of a litmus test and, um, and, 
sort of explain what we might be thinking of doing, whether it's an extension um, project or a research project or speak about the findings and speak about some barriers we think that there might be in terms of getting adoption and how we could possibly get around that. Um, you know, other grower groups or um, prominent um, individual farmers that we can work with um, in terms of um, demonstrating that on farm and things like that. So I think, um, you know, a well-running producer advisory panel is absolutely crucial um, to how we run the extension networks around Australia. And there are several networks around Australia as well that that all have a producer advisory panel um, informing them of strategic direction, aren't there? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Leading Sheep in Queensland and uh, then Best Wool, Best Lamb in Victoria, Sheep Connect Tasmania in Tasmania, uh, Sheep Connect South Australia and the Sheep's Back in Western Australia and all of them um, have a really active producer advisory panel um, that we think is really crucial Uh, to feeding back information to the project to allow managers such as yourself to put together operational plans that really suit the strategic priorities of the growers in that state and to be really flexible and be able to deliver things for that state that suit the on-ground needs for the growers of the state. So they're all a little bit different in the way that they work and and what their actual activities consist of uh, and that's for that very very purpose isn't it? Absolutely and I think each state has different levels of investment and involvement by the state departments um, of primary industries or ag or um, whatever it is in each state so um, and all of the states have different levels of private consultancy businesses and um, interaction with that as well Um, so um, being able to and not every state is the same, of course. Uh, and, I mean, you know, look across New South Wales, there's winter rainfall, summer rainfall, low, high rainfall zone, sheet wheat zone. So, um, you know, there's no one-size-fits-all system. And, and a lot of the extension packages that we've been developing out of AWI um, are de- very deliberately... Um, you know, a high-level best practice package that is designed to be delivered by regional people, um, consultants or veterinarians or whoever that might be, depending on the package of information, so that they can add a regional flavour to it and make it relevant to the people sitting in that room at that time. Um, and as well, you know, we've got, and as you said, rightly so, the um, all the state extension networks are run differently depending on their involvement from other partners in every state. But all of them are designed to be flexible to be able to respond to seasonal conditions and to demand on ground. Thanks, Emily. Jenny, just coming back to you, what um, kind of things have the Sheep Connect New South Wales Producer Advisory Panel identified for priorities going forward? Um, Well, yeah, there's a list that we've come up with. We had a Zoom meeting um, just with COVID, we couldn't get together. So, <laughs> so there is, um, yeah, there's quite an extensive list. Um, besides the winning with Wieners workshop, there's lamb survival, of course, comes in there as well. Um, I suppose managed to measure um, more content on scanning, which has been covered really, really well on the webinars, the back to business webinars, which I think was a great um, section there session there on um, scanning but um, probably more on that in particular into pastoral zones as well um, of course forefront was flock rebuilding after three years of drought um, everyone's managed um, the drought in different ways but we all need more more sheep on the ground so flock rebuilding was identified um, whether you know this whole range of ideas around that flock rebuilding whether you retain older ewes but um, or, yeah, there's, or joining young ewes. So there's a whole um, 
lot around Flockery building, which we've got to look at closer. Um, pain relief options too comes in there. Pain relief is coming um, more and more products on the market, when to use, what to use, what combination to use. So just clarifying probably best practice um, in that sphere would be good. Yeah. Of course, fly resistance. When you've got um, maggots that can do laps in some fly products that are on the market, it's, fly resistance is becoming a problem. <laughs> there's, a, there's a novel idea. <laughs> how, many lap, how, many, how many laps we can do, yes. <laughs> no. So, um, yes, and we're really looking forward to getting back together again face-to-face because um, we really channel our energies much better when we're face-to-face. So we've identified key areas to work in and work on, yes. Looking forward to it. And just finally, there has been a, a somewhat of a succession plan and we, we um, farewelled some of our um, producer advisory panel members, but we've welcomed some new ones as well. So we, we're sort of, you know, very much making sure that the project is um, having a bit of a renewal as well and that, that people don't have to uh, be on the producer advisory panel for 48 years before they can um, <laughs> retire. No, with any, I mean, with, with all these committees, I think it's really healthy that we have a... a really good succession plan um, plan in in place and this has been in place and it is being practiced which is i um which is really good because we need it we need um fresh ideas fresh people come on coming on board and we've only got retained three um of the residual and i actually go off next year um which will be good for another person to come on so keep those ideas fresh um really well laid out plan uh, for a committee to work on yep well, it's certainly uh, great from where I sit in the project as well to have such an engaged, enthusiastic and, and, you know, freely giving of their time producer advisory panel. And, you know, it's a credit, I guess, you know, to AWI in a lot of, you know, in you know, every essence of that, that, you know, they set that process up so well uh, for the network to establish that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful every day that, that I've got such a great um, producer advisory panel and that process is great. So, look, I think, um, yeah, we might let you get back here. I think you've got a bit of sheep work to do this afternoon, haven't you, yeah, Jenny? I might, so I might actually get two experienced ladies here to come and help. <laughs> <laughs> I always like getting out and doing a bit of sheep work, Jenny. I'd be pleased to get off the computer after end of financial year for a bit, so that'll be great. <laughs> get the thanks, again, Emily. thanks again, Emily, for your time, and thanks, Jenny. Yeah, thank you, Megan. Thanks, Em. Thanks, Megan. Thanks, Jenny. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of It's Time For You, the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. We'd appreciate it if you could share our podcast within your networks. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to the AWI podcast, The Yarn. We'd love you to stay in contact with Sheep Connect New South Wales, and you can do this in a number of ways. Join our network by visiting www.sheepconnectnewsouthwales.com.au find us at Sheep Connect New South Wales on Facebook and Twitter. We look forward to seeing you at our workshops and events later in the year. Thanks again for joining us today. Bye for now.